welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that provides you with conversations with experts and like-minded people who would like to see education turn into a flourishing environment for the well-being of all. So, are you ready? Let's start. Hope you enjoy this session. Today I'm talking with Tristan Williams. Um, so Tristan is principal of the Ventures Academy in Bristol and executive lead uh, in the for the primary schools in the Ventures Trust. Um, and I met Tristan about a month and a bit ago, yes. seven, yeah. seven weeks ago, um, where a colleague um, got me to you know we introduced. Um, me to, to Tristan because we were talking about sort of transitioning into the new normal etc um but I know I mean I'll let Tristan explain that to himself but I know that your your the, the ventures of academy has a has mainstream and special schools um and I I really wanted to talk to you about diversity and about inclusion in education because yes. yes. I thought it was really important so very warm welcome Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, well, Venturers um, Academy is um, a specialist school for young people who have a primary diagnosis of autism. So all those young people do have an education and healthcare plan, which is clearly um, a statutory document that protects young people. And what I mean by that is when local authorities issue an education healthcare plan, where, wherever that child or that young person goes, there's a statutory responsibility for the local authority to hold that school to account to deliver what's in the context of that education healthcare plan. And I think that's important, you know. So Ventures Academy um, opened in 2016. It is sponsored by the Merchants of Bristol and by the University of Bristol, um, you know, our co-sponsors. And what has been wonderful really over the years, we've had quite a few students also coming from the University of Bristol that um, have done a psychology. We've got second year psychology students. We've had quite a few PGC students as well, which is, which has been great, you know, and, uh, and, that, and that link. Yeah. And that link with the university has been, it's been wonderful to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but what makes Ventures Academy slightly different, I suppose, to some other special schools um, in the city and regionally is that we employ our own um, therapy team. So they don't just work for the NHS and communicationally, they are full-time staff members that serve our students and that serve our school and our community. So there's oh, wow. a real multidisciplinary, integrated, academic and therapeutic curriculum that sits alongside um, each other. Because the way I tend to perceive that really is that I'm an educationist. I don't have the clinical background expertise uh, the assessment tools to unpick the complexities in some of our most complex young people so you know it's quite a blessing really to have senior leaders uh, teachers support staff working alongside um, clinically trained people in an inclusive school environment and you know the transformation we see in some of our most complex non-verbal children it's really humbling to witness you know when we capture those micro steps you know in um in in progress and you know that's 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 that to me is quite is therapeutic um mm. in itself you know and the school has grown from 28 children up to 166 children um over two sites you know and we've oh, wow. just had another request by the local authority to increase more and more and more you know um and clearly there's a need in the city for more specialist placements at this particular time so mm. that's the bit about the special school. Should I touch on, on our primary schools now as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We, we have um, Merchants Academy Primary School, which is in, in South Bristol. We also have the Kingfisher School, which is in St. Anne's Park. We have Barton Hill Academy. We have Bannerman Road. We also have Fairlawn School. And we also have the Dolphin School. 
Now, clearly, the schools are spread across the city. And, um, you know, the majority of the schools that, that, that we serve do um, serve, again, fairly complex, you know, communities. And you can imagine during the COVID, um, you know, situation, the amount of additional therapeutic support that we've had to provide, not just for um, families, um, but obviously our young people as well, has is, 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 is been huge. So, to again, to have a specialist team of therapists being able to undertake Zoom calls with, with, with our vulnerable young people has also been a blessing to at least maintain continuity of service, not just being in school one day and cliff edge and um, and go go back home. Mm. We'll see you in 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 three months. And that has been one of the greatest um, challenges, really, over the last few months. Is how do we monitor, how do we measure social and emotional wealth? How do we tip yes. from mental ill health into looking at our young people's mental wealth because we tend to use words of that context um, yeah. in, in school so you know yes we have welfare calls by the teachers and the pastoral team but also when we start getting concerned you know with that's the time that again we will lean slightly on our clinical specialist and we'll do zoom meetings with family members and and children as well to have that clinical lens you know, that maybe I wouldn't pick up on something, but one of my clinical experts would say, yeah. I've seen a change here, I've seen a change there. Now I'm going to do a, do another follow-up session. You know, and, you know, this this is no secret. We we know that um, self-harm has increased. We know that, um, you know, domestic referral, um, you know, uh, domestic violence referrals have also gone up. So, and and again, you know, moving into the current day as of now, the biggest change that we've seen in you know the amount of children coming into school is those children and we don't like to use the the word vulnerable because you know that almost labels a family we tend to call them our our, our priority children we tend to call them so you know that we are having more and more of them back into into school at the moment so you can imagine the role was challenging fulfilling complex prior to covid but working remotely with all the added dimensions also brings additional challenges and brings additional, you know, stress to the role. But you still know in your heart of hearts that there are certain days when you're having a real special moment that you are reaching out to those vulnerable learners. And actually it does make a real difference in the lives of not just the young people we serve, but those families as well. And that's the bit that's keeping us all going at the moment that gives you that emotional fulfillment as well, you know. What, what a wonderful, yeah. It's, it's, for me, it, it, you, you summarise it beautifully in the sense that for me, it's all about making the difference and it's about being the change we want to see in the world. So if, if it's, you know, one conversation at a time or making a difference with one person, then that's what really matters. Yes. Mm. And, you know, having spoken to, to my colleagues, um, one thing we, we, we tend to find is um, teachers, staff members in an education environment, and I'm sure it's the same in many other roles and jobs as well, get emotional satisfaction from seeing someone else smile when you do something, you know, to someone. And we were having these open conversations, you know, and through Zoom and Teams, finally we get that. But well, what we were unpicking from it is that um, almost a sense of grief, almost a sense of loss, you know, a sense of trauma from our colleagues. Saying, well, I've, I've, I feel that I've lost my identity because when I used to walk into the staff room or when I was walking down the corridor, I was getting multiple emotional, fulfilling moments where a child would say, good morning. And I would say, good morning back because it's, it's, it's a happy thing to share, isn't it? You know, and you'd keep on filling yourself with happy hormones and you'd feel the endorphins rushing around you and stuff of that nature. And then colleagues keep saying, well, I don't have that quite as often anymore. You know, and colleagues do feed that back to me. So, and the way that I keep on saying them, I say, well, if you feel like that as an adult in that role, isn't it even more important to make contact with, uh, maintain contact with our young people who are clearly vulnerable who may be well, mm -hmm. you know, living with six other children on the 17th floor, 
you know, of a multi-story area, you know, you imagine how those young people feel and hence that face-to-face -face dialogue becomes even more important. And I suppose then in return, then you also get that emotional fulfillment as well that keeps you going, um, you know, as well, you know, so, so we do have those conversations with colleagues and I think it's important also to show that kind of vulnerability that it's okay not to feel okay and i know we use that kind of terminology through our training and our ongoing professional development but actually you've seen i've seen more of that in my colleagues in the last three months than what i've probably done in the last five or six years you know and that also to me then the return on that i suppose is that you develop even stronger bonds and trusting professional you know relationships with your colleagues you know, when I say to them, yeah, I feel awful today because I've not had, you know, this kind of feeling for a while. And, you know, colleagues do say to me on quite a regular basis, oh, I spent hours on Zoom or on Teams today. I've got a bit of a sore neck and I feel a little bit up tense and I feel and I feel a bit tight, you know. And, um, you know, and again, we have those open conversations. We have those open dialogues. And again, if that helps the person I'm working with or that person helps me because, you know we've had a little bit of a of an emotional dump on each other and then it's it's okay to do that and i think that's the greatest challenge we've got at the moment is that the world has changed so rapidly so quickly and as human beings i don't think we've quite caught up with what's happened yet you know so no no and and we know that for example uh, you know, Zoom calls are requiring us to be far more focused and so they're far more draining yes. because because you have to, to pay attention to a lot more than you would actually normally in a, in a, in a setting where the person is in front of you. So you have yeah. to, to strain extra for the non-verbal, you know, uh, communication and, and the active listening and you know, yes. if there happens to be delay in the conversation then you're yeah. you know that, that and that tends to 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 trigger a lot more of the you know the the, the, the sympathetic nervous system mm. that fear system mm. um in in adults so you know let alone young people you know you can yes. imagine that it's sort of a, it's really challenging yes mm. so you know, you're talking about the, the young people, your priority, you know, the people you are your priority, young people, you know, vulnerable people. So in, when we spoke, I was talking to you about the, the fact that I believe that there'll be differences in the way young people transition back to school when it's time for, for schools to open, reopen properly, in a sense that those who will who have experience who have been at home with mum and dad and they've been in a safe and secure environment then you know they, they'll be okay but you have those young people who will have seen and heard things that maybe being at school they would not have seen that would have put them more in a traumatic situation yes so how do we deal with that obviously you know you in your school but also you know i i was talking to my children given the current you know, discussions around you know black lives matter and and they were talking about diversity and inclusion and i was saying to my to, to the children it's an also about realizing our own privileges so my privilege as a as a white middle class woman um and you know as being you know white middle class in a in a small village yes. you know how how would you say you know what would you say as individuals what difference can we make yeah um we've had you know our conversations with young people this week who have, who have articulated that there are two global phenomenons going on at the moment you know, you've you a decade, can you? You can go for 20 years without a, a global phenomenon. And we've had two global phenomenons that's going to change probably the world for the next generation, you know, hopefully, um, you know, for the better. I'm trying to process that. I think, I think the, the enormity of what's going on at the moment, I think if you overthink about it, it might make you more anxious or more nervous or generate even more questions within yourselves, you know? So, um, but coming back 
to the point you made, um, some of the young people that um, didn't show um, certain behaviours, if I could use, use that kind of generic term at the moment, um, who we wouldn't um, necessarily think to be challenging uh, pre-COVID, have now come back with extremely challenging behaviour in school, needing a sensory release. Uh, you know, we've seen children um, who, who have tried staff members that in, in the past would, wouldn't have bitten staff members. We've seen children that have come back for, you know, and we've known these children for two or three years that they've never spat at a staff member, but they're spitting, spitting. And when you try to unpick that, it's clearly such a level of anxiety that's been within these children trying to process this information when they're coming back to school it's almost their way of trying to say to uh, to us in school i am dysregulated can you try and take control of me and my life because currently at the moment i can't make sense of it so we've seen a lot of that we've also had some children that who were extremely challenging and extremely physically violent towards other children and staff members actually coming back to school much calmer than they were previously and i didn't expect that i didn't expect that so in some cases not all clearly in some cases and i would say in about 15 to 20 percent there's been a complete role reversal because some of these children have come back and said Phew, i didn't realize how much i actually enjoyed school sorry that hit you sir six months ago i'm not going to do that again i've had a lot of thinking time Oh, that's 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 interesting. We weren't expecting that. Where some of our complex nonverbal children who probably couldn't articulate that kind of feeling and emotion through language exhibit through biting and spitting, which again, pre-COVID, they were very placid children. So I think it's very difficult. And you know, we have all kind of psychometric tests, and we've got the clinical people that can undertake a variety of tests, you know, around, you know. Um, a variety of measurements, you know, including uh, within speech and language and occupational therapy as well. But there are certain observations that we've picked up on out that we really didn't expect out of these children. And it'll probably take months and months and months to, to unpick why. You know, we asked the parents, did anything significant happen at home? No, he's been really placid in school. So what we unpick from that is, okay, if you are hyper complacent, really complacent in the home and then you come to school you clearly need a release and that's the way that we discuss and talk through that situation with a staff member this isn't personal this child has been in the house with six other siblings the other children don't have any special needs clearly that child has contained oh, emotions for weeks and weeks and weeks and oh, nah, 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 need to release mm. And, you know, whether you've got the best PPE equipment in the world, it still doesn't protect you from that kind of, um, you know, interaction with a child who is anxious and just, just wants to bite, you know. So, so we've, we've, we've had huge challenges, you know, over the last month, especially as we start introducing, um, you know, our, as, as more and more of our young people do come back, especially into the, into the specialist setting. Um, you know, and, you know, we are clearly, in, you know, inclusive and, we clearly try and work through each and every individual, um, you know, situation that rises. But there's also the human side of how does it make that staff member feel, you know? And we mm -hmm. do listen to the feedback of the staff member, and we say, well, if if you don't want to work with that young person for the next few days or the next few weeks, it's okay for you to say that. And then we also risk assess around actually is it safe for that child under the current government guidelines to be in school. You know, and there are two young people that we've said, we do need to have you at home, you know, and explain that to the parents because, you know, the level of risk is just so high, you know, and, and, and those are extreme, you know, the majority of children clearly will work with, but if we really feel that staff members are under a disproportionate amount of risk, then again, I've got a moral obligation to support my colleagues, to support the other children and to think, well, you know, we're going to try and support your child, but more in the home situation rather than in school. So agility of mind, flexibility of mind, constantly, dynamically risk assessing, thinking about things. How can we preempt? How can we stop? You know, and that actually is in a healthy way of working either. 
So people say to me, and people say to me, so what do you do for yourself? And what is interesting, I've been saying to myself for 10 years, I, I need to train more. I need to look after myself physically a little bit more. So the way that I've overcome that is I get up a little bit earlier in the morning and I actually have my fitness session in the morning because then I fill my body with happy hormones and then I'm, I'm okay until about one o'clock. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. work for the whole day. It doesn't work. And you know, for me, I, I feel myself almost euphoric for the first few hours of work, you know. And then I feel, oh, I think I need another coffee. No, that's not the way. No, I need a fizzy drink. No, that's not the way. So I try and keep my, you know, and then I get up, I walk around before I come back to, to, to the next challenge and, uh, and, and, and stuff like that. But, you know, self-regulation, I think, is, is crucial. Being aware of yourself, that energy levels are starting to dwindle. So what do I need to do? Do I need to jump on my feet? Do I need to move around and do some physical stuff? I think that's also important. And I keep on asking myself, oh, feel myself getting a little bit tight, a little bit stressed here. Oh, how many peaks and troughs can I have in a day? Yeah. You know, can I use the peaks and the troughs? Mm, yes, I can. And if I can control what I can control, then actually that's a healthy thing to do because there's so many things currently that is out of our control there are certain things that we actually take responsibility and control over and I try and do that to the best best I can. Mm, that's wonderful and you know I was going to ask you how would you define inclusive sort of education? Inclusive education, there's two words it's, it's interesting when I'm asked questions, I, I either work from my subconscious mind or my conscious mind, okay? So I'm going to share with you the two words that came into my head, subconscious, empathy and compassion. Okay, now I could give you a definition of what inclusion means from, from a government handbook. But to me, um, you know, it's, it, in, inclusive education is about culture. It's about having um, a level of humanity. It's about having... You know, you can you can look in, in a child, you know, a child with complex needs, you know, you have that eye contact, you have that connection with that child that actually makes that young person feel feel valued. And the, the you know, children and young people know who who care for them. You know, you reach out to them, you you get that, you know, you get that hand coming towards you, almost, you know, interlocking. And that interlocking of, you know, whether you're a child with really severe and complex needs, you know, who's, who, who can hardly walk without calipers or, you know, when that hand comes up to you and initiates that kind of human touch, you know that, that there's a relationship between you and, and that child, you know. And, you know, it, it does take, um, I think, a certain type of, of person to be able to connect with 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 really complex learners and you know i was born and bred on the on the site of a of a special school my father was in charge of a of a, of a residential school that was open 52 weeks of the year and my my sister and unfortunately she had um, damage to her brain when she was about 13 months old and um she didn't speak then for about six years so I've I've grown up really um, living on the on, on the site of a special school. I've my own sister. She has um, she also has has special needs. And what was interesting when I was a teenager, I thought the world owed me a favour. I thought oh, I live on the site of a special school. Oh, my sister's got special needs. <clears throat> the world owes me a favour. But having been brought up in that environment you know, and having seen what my parents had to live with at times, you know, and I'll never forget the time I was about 13 or 14, I said, right, either she goes or I go, you know, and he thinks, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. In other words, I've had enough of this because what, what she would do, she would copy some of the things I used to do. So if I was doing homework, she would pick up my pen and she would scribble all over my book because she was trying to copy what I was doing. You know, from a cognitive perspective, she's got the, um, the cognitive ability of a one-year-old and she's non-verbal too, okay? So, and, um, and I remember going to school then and getting into all sorts of trouble. Tristan, why have you scribbled on your book? And, you know, in the olden days, you, you know, you didn't have a voice in school at all. You would have a wah, 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 wah. And I, I'm like, 
has to go home and say to mum, this is unfair. But what it has done is, is it's given me a real insight into values of a family. It's given me a real insight about compassion and empathy. You know, and mum died this January and my dad died two years ago. So I've had to pick up really that mantle of looking after my sister now as well. And I think that everything that I've grown up to be has been for this particular time in my life. You know, that everything that I've learned through my parents and my sister has made me the compassionate, you know, empathetic human being. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I get stressed in work and I get a little bit grumpy at times and I apologise to people. But those values, and I think through trauma and through challenge in life you know it gives you time to reflect on actually what's important and think if the world had a bit more compassion a bit more empathy wouldn't this world be a much less complex place and a happier place yeah, you know totally because because in what you describes of compassion and and empathy is the basis of absolutely every relationship we have with with people so you know if you for, for me you know when, when i was asked recently what how i i view inclusive education you know in higher education because this is where i work and i said well it's for me it's very simple you're a human being i'm a human being we all want to be happy and avoid suffering regardless of what our socioeconomic or you know background is what yes. our you know rate you know race or or uh, you know or, or even um you know your your everything that sort of you would describe you in terms of you know like you said the government's of definition of what is in inclusive or, yes. you know, education actually if you're a human being and you're the person in front of me and i consider you as my equivalence yes and yes. i know that all you want is to be seen and heard then that is it that's the basis of our conversation then so therefore any all the interactions i'm gonna have with you are gonna be based on that with that intention mm, absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. and i do think sometimes our organizations almost you know we've come so driven by a business mind and target setting and outcomes it's almost, you know, it reminds me of these chicken, you know, these awful chicken factories. You know, you've got the chickens laid up in rows. They eat and they peck away. They produce eggs. Yeah. And then when, when the farmer's had enough, it chops your head off. It turns you into, puts you into a bag and sends you off to the supermarket. You know, and at times I feel that some institutions, educational institutions have almost become that clinical. You know, we come in, we do a baseline assessment on you. We say, mm, you're here. And in three years' time, I want you to be there. Yeah, okay, that's fine. But can you take away all those elements that can make me comfortable in my learning? Because actually, if you take those additional elements of stress and anxiety away from me, my brain will function better. So we see these children going from year six in primary into year seven in secondary school. They get tested to the nth degree for the first three months of being in school. They've gone from a small primary school where they've got one teacher. They might have a teaching assistant and they've had a group of friends that they've known for six, seven years. All of a sudden they turn up in secondary school, you're 11, 12 years of age, and you've got big children walking around with moustaches because they're 16 years of age. They're almost twice your size. They're probably saying words that you've hardly heard before. And you're having to move from one class to the other. You're having to walk down the left-hand side of the corridor because this big 15-year-old might bump into you if you're walking in the wrong place. And on top of that, we're giving you cognitive ability tests. We're testing you in English. We're testing you in maths. We're saying, this is where you need to be by the time you're 16. Has anybody ever stopped and asked that child how he or she feels? Probably not, because you're almost into 
the next step and you're churning oh i've come into your seven and they're going to churn me and at the end of it they're interested in exam results when i'm 16 and when i'm 18 and see if i can go on but do they test out what kind of human being i am do they give me opportunities to talk up and to express myself to develop my communication skills are they making me an empathetic human being are they developing me into a leader where maybe i could work anywhere in in the world in the future or are they more interested in me getting grades so that school gets a very good offset outcome? Controversial things to say, but I do think out of these challenging times, as I said, these two global issues that are going on, the, on at the moment, would it be wonderful to think that, look in the mirror, you know, what really is important in this world at this particular time? It's almost like a good inclusive education, isn't it? It's about human values. You know, and if anything comes out of this, then that's one thing I'd really want education. And I've had more conversations about compassion, empathy, mental wealth of young people in the last few months than I've done in 20 years in education. Let's get rid of SATs. Let's change the way that we do our examinations when these young people are 16 years of age. Let's get back to basics. And let's really look at the development of young people as human beings that we could, you know, we could go from this room into that room, into that room. And actually I can have agility of mind, but I can still remain compassionate and, and empathetic and I can still function. You know, and I think if we look at some of those core values within the education system moving forward, we'll still get young people qualifying, but hopefully they'll be happier in themselves. They might feel more confident in themselves. They might feel a greater sense of self-worth and they'll understand a bit more about compassion and empathy and actually it's a good thing to be a good human being not someone that puts other people down and lives through social media and lives in a fantasy world but you know this this is what being a good human being is all about and wouldn't it be wonderful if we had that in our curriculum what's it like to be a good human being not a token gesture once a year because we're having a theme day on emotional intelligence do you know what i mean so yeah i yes. want that to be out there i want that to be out there yeah I couldn't agree more <laughs> you know yeah. you know from the conversations we've had that that is like my ideal you know flourishing education is about that is about you know and and having because because if you have young people like you describe young people who have that emotion emotion emotional sort of wealth and well-being and all of those things then you will also have staff who are happy and who are you know enjoying their their work and and everything else it's a system right it's just yes. it works together yes. um and and one can't go without the other so wow wonderful so what's uh, from from an you know you you describe how what you do beautifully in your schools with your staff so allowing the staff to express how they're feeling and their emotions you know do that with the with the young people uh, you know and understanding the complexity and the indi individual um and sort of catering for that particular individual needs within that system um what about parents what is the you know don't parents play a, a big role in that education sort of in that interaction yes yes you know and again we've probably supported our parents more now than we ever have done you know we encourage parents to be part of those online conversations and actually parents have come to us and said look i'm the one that needs emotional support at this moment so I can be the best parent that I can be to support my child who's clearly feeling vulnerable as well. And for a parent to come and ask for help of that nature also shows that that adult has complete trust and faith in us as human beings and as professionals um, as well. And I do think we need to shift some of our thinking from just working with young people, especially as we move into if you want to call it, I wouldn't even call it post-pandemic at this time, I think we're, we're, we're still in amongst it, but to be really, really mindful of our families and the family, you know, dynamics and to really reach out to those families. And I do know that across all our schools, 
it's either through questionnaires or conversations you know we do have quite an in-depth understanding of what it's been like for for those families and we've given them the platform to be able to share their thoughts you know what hasn't been great what has been okay is there anything that we could celebrate with your child on his or her first day back in school yes he's planted seeds for the first time ever we'd never done that before then we then can engage little johnny i've heard you've planted a seed how how tall are the plants on the balcony of the 15th floor oh it's this big oh what do you mean by this big it's five centimeters well five centimeters is great how much do you think that plant has grown in the last five weeks or well, one centimeter every week so to have an understanding of when the children come back has been really really important and that's one thing we've really challenged our colleagues in schools is to show an understanding and try to get certain information clearly in a very you know subtle and empathetic way from parents so we can engage in meaningful conversation when our children do come back to school and to celebrate some of those good things because you know again if you go at it from oh it must have been hard for you at home for all that time oh, no you know let's pick up on the positive things you know let's engage in those in those happy conversations and there must be some things that need to be celebrated back at school you know we put booklets together you know where we we get young people to share their thoughts and you know they do love these these little emojis at the moment don't they cutting out nice emojis with smiley faces and sticking these bits here and sticking those bits there you know so to celebrate what's been going on in in lockdown has been something that we've worked really really hard on as part of that transition back um, back into school you know and to involve the parent in the, in those dialogues i think is also important and giving them a platform to share their thoughts um on an emotional level as well and i think and i think that's crucial and i know that that support will need to increase and will need to continue because you know schools will close you know to to some extent at least over the summer so that will be starting again in september you know when we hit and i know this sounds very negative of me but when we hit all the autumn issues you know there's always seasonal illnesses and everything of that nature that's going to be challenging you know guaranteed staff are going to have to be tested for covid19 and i'm sure some of them will come back as positive some won't so you know i am thinking three or four months ahead and actually you know how will those parents feel when we go into the darker months of the of the winter you know mm -hmm. and and that is a concern of mine you know for my own well-being as well and for some of our most vulnerable families you know at least we can reflect on the last few months and the sun's been shining most of the time it's only dark properly three or four hours you know and actually that has certainly helped me i'm sure it's helped you know other people too but you know um looking forward i, th I think it's going to be it's going to be a tough six to nine months yes i agree particularly if we have a second wave of yeah you know, of covid and and we don't know it, it, it's it's all the unknown and the uncertainty isn't it yeah. so how do you manage yeah. that um over the weekend i i came across an african concept of it's called ubuntu ubuntu yeah. and it, it yeah do, do you know that concept no that no i don't no no um so it's basically the concept that um you are say it's it's i am because you are um and it's this this notion that there's not really a you and a me but there's a we and and i was really interested in that concept because with my idea of you know systems thinking and well-being and everything else how do we create that we in education how do we make that happen Cool. That's a question. That is a question. Yeah. Um, Co-construction is a word I tend to use, you know, quite quite often. And I suppose as 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 a leader, what I really enjoy in the development of the we is that I think of myself as an artist. You know, I'm more than happy to draw the picture. You know, um, I'm more than happy to share the vision with you. Okay. 
and the involvement then of the we is okay i've shared that with you it's now time for me just to sit back and because i i do talk a lot i'll obviously admit and clearly it's not difficult to work that one out by what's gone on for the last 30 40 minutes on here what's important then is i take a sit back and i give other people opportunity to take the lead role and instead of using this i start using these so we're co-constructing whatever we need to co-construct and i think in terms of the involvement of of the we bit you know you think of your venn diagrams and that central bit that everybody needs to have as much autonomy and feel really important that they've drawn in and coloured that middle bit of the Venn diagram themselves and whatever bubbles, whatever bits they've done around the outside, that they all feel that they've been part of that co-construction of the development of, of that we, that, you know, that middle bit. And I do think sometimes, you know, people through their own arrogance think that they can, they can do everything and they, they can get to an end point and their ideas are always the best. As I've matured, maybe if I wind the clock back 20 years, I had a bit of that mindset myself. But as I've matured and grown and, and um, you know, become, you know, more of a listener, then that whole concept of the development of the we means that when you get to the end product, you look over your shoulder and actually you've got a group of people with you. You've got a group of people that feel they've developed this with you they feel that that small bit that they've contributed is also really, really important. So that concept of the we moving forward into, you know, the challenges we're going to get in September, what's the curriculum going to look like in all our schools? I don't know. I'll draw you a picture, but together we're going to have to pull something out of the bag. going to have to be really special to make sure that these children are still making progress socially, emotionally, and academically and that co-construction of the we i think is really really important so again i think moving into the next stage that concept of the we becomes even more important because the danger is is that you start doing many 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 things some people who are on the periphery of any debate might feel out of it mm. and that isn't going to be great for their self-esteem where coming out of any traumatic experience the tighter you feel as part of any group i think is really really important and that's one thing that I'm consciously, especially as we go into the next five or six weeks, coming towards the end of the summer term, you know, whatever we co-construct for September, you know, people of any working group or any working party really needs to have their voice heard. I think that's important. And that any idea that they put forward is, is, is embraced with integrity. And whatever they do suggest, you know, becomes part of that solution which will be better at the end of the journey because we've involved and, and included people. And I think that's one key element of, of leadership. You know, going back 20 years when I did a lot of my training, you had to be a strong leader. You had to lead by example and you had to take your troops through the trenches and you would battle your way through any distressing information and you would have a stiff upper lip. Where now, you know, to me, it's completely the other way. It's it's empathetic, compassionate leaders where I take a back seat and I say, yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to guide you with my palms facing this way, not saying, oh, I keep, keep up, keep up with me, you know. And I think that kind of, again, empathetic leadership, you know, whether we're a teacher, you know, leading a class or whether we're a support assistant, leading an intervention or whether you're the vice chancellor of a university or whether you're the chief executive of a multi-academy trust i think we're going to see the emergence of a new style of leader and you know we just look at new zealand you know look at the way that their president leads that country you know and just look at how quickly they got back to normality through someone who knew what she was doing who included her teams who included the whole community people bought into it there were no riots or you know because they felt included in 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 the dialogue and i was you know being a rugby fan i was watching um a, a rugby game from new zealand on saturday morning i was thinking to myself 
gosh, those cutouts, those those cardboard cutouts are actually moving. No, there were people. There were forty-five thousand people watching that game because New Zealand have gone now over is it two or three weeks without any more COVID outbreak at all. You know, and wow. I've read some. You know, and doesn't that say that through compassion, through empathy, you can still be seen as a strong leader? And I think what they've done in New Zealand, and I understand they're not as populated as we are here, and I get all the counter arguments, but actually the way that she's led, and it was it was interesting. I, I was reading um, something online earlier, and they've, uh, there, there was a quote by a person. He said, um, "I've never been so envious as the president of um, New Zealand as I was when we had John Major." and South Africa had Nelson Mandela. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting analogy to put into place, you know, comparing John Major then Nelson Mandela, comparing who we have in Britain and comparing what they've got in New Zealand, because it's such a contrasting style of leadership, isn't it? You know, and how the people, and you know, one of my best friends, I was out there 15 years ago, he got married, you know, best man and stuff else. You know, so and and they speak so highly of her, you know, and I've never heard people speak so highly of a politician in this country no, ever. No, no. But do, do you think that what you're describing and you know the conversation we've just had around you know what it means to be, uh, you know what what is required to be tr truly inclusive and to yeah. sort of be respectful of others is yeah. that compassion and empathy and leading from the heart. Yes. You know, if you're if you're, for me, with with all of the the compassion sort of training that I've been doing recently and all all the research that I've been doing, there's very clearly two approaches to things that, to what we do. We either take on a fear-based approach or a love-based approach yes. and and you know um Jacinda in 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 New Zealand has definitely a love-based approach yeah. she she's she has based her you know all of her approach in the you know parasympathetic nervous system and yeah. in the let's yeah. go for compassion for respect yeah. for you know and in a way the 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 what we are currently seeing in our society also reflect the way we educate doesn't it in a sense that you know if we are driven by results and by by grades and you know by i think i think my bigger biggest thing in education is the analogy or the the, the saying from a very young age you're you know if you do well academically or you you understand things then that equals intelligence mm. so you know they're saying you, you you do a jigsaw and you see young children or even trainers i mean you know my son when he was he's doing rugby when he was little i would get so annoyed with the trainers when they would say clever boy yeah. don't associate the fact that he scored a try with yeah. trial with with being clever that yeah. has nothing yes. to do yeah. with it yeah. um and and you know the thing is this is where i think it, the very systemic approach is really important is because we are all part of this as parents yes. how we talk to our children is very yes. important yes. as educators it's also important and yes. you know young how young people talk about themselves is also important yes yeah and i, and I do find it interesting also you know parents can go get very competitive can they at the age of one, my child could count to 43. Oh, yeah, okay, fine. You know, when I used to sort of judge things on, okay, have I seen my son share any of his sweets with any other child today? You know, that's what I would look for in my children. You know, what has my child done for someone else? And, you know, you, know, you look at children, especially under the age of three, you know, sharing isn't something they do very, very well. You know, yeah. you know, but I, I would, you know, the same as when, when we had our Labrador puppy, you know, we were told that it's, it's, it's healthy to take the food away midway through the dog eating the meal because you don't want the dog to overreact, you know, when 
when someone comes and takes the meal. And I used to do that quite often with my children, you know, say, oh, thank you. Can, can daddy have a look, please? Thank you. Daddy's giving you the toy back. Thank you for sharing. And it was just those subtle things about sharing from a really young age. So, you know, when, the, when you then read a report when they're seven years of age or 10 years of age and say, oh, he's quite a character, he's lively. Yes, I know, I understand that. Yeah, he's, he's lively, a bit like his dad, I get that. However, he's got a wonderful personality. He'll always do something for other people. And, you know, that to me, out of any school report, I think, right, at least as human beings, we've got that bit, that bit right, you know. So, um, and, and, and I think even down to, to looking at um, that competitive element, you know, within within human beings, I think, you know, from some of the reality TVs to social media, it's almost as if he's been cool to get one over someone else, you know, and 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 that isn't good for your for your human spirit, are you? You know, it's really. No. Not. Well, in in the second book that I wrote with um, Dominic Thompson, this is one of the things that we say is the fact that, you know, young people are growing up with the, with with this really um over competitiveness but in the sense that you know before you would you would actually celebrate the win and you would celebrate that but now there's a massive focus on if you're a loser like making them look like really focusing on how much of a loser you are and yeah. like the person being really sad because they've lost compared to those who are so better than them and yeah. you know that makes it really awful to watch it's, it's cringe worthy it's yeah. like don't do that <laughs> it's like this real emphasis of, oh my god they're all crying because yeah. they just and and that means that nobody wants to be that loser who will yeah. have all the attention and who will fail. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, when actually life is about failing and picking yourself up and learning from yes. that. You know, just, um, yes, yes, yes. So, yes. So, so where do we go from there in terms of what's next? You know, you said... So you, you told me about the beautiful work that you're doing and sort of trying to be, you know, really both the staff and, and the young people and, and, you know, including the parents through surveys, etc. The fact that we would like to have, you know, possibly a leader like the, 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 the leader in, in New Zealand. Yes. Um, what do you think is the, is the future of education? Well, the core element of the curriculum that we're going to be delivering in, in all our schools between September and Christmas is our recovery uh, curriculum, where it's all about learning to learn once again. There's going to be um, a big emphasis on personal, social um, health education. Um, all our schools have got mental health workers and practitioners in them. So there's going to be a core, you know, a core element um you know around uh, raising awareness of of mental wealth it's going to be a lot of work um on that there's going to be much less emphasis on the traditional core subjects of, of of maths and english there's going to be more work outside of the classroom we want colleagues to reconnect with nature i think that's really really important and also it is healthier to be outside you know, we do we do know that, um, and again, in terms of cross cross contamination, it lends itself to that kind of learning environment. You know, and that's what we want our children to be. That you know, that recovery element is about reconnecting as human beings. It is about reconnecting with being outside and reconnecting with nature. You know, and be thankful of the small blessings. Um, we, we have, and I do think if our staff members lead on that kind of, of curriculum, I think it will help them too, because it's almost a form of positive psychology, isn't it? You know, if you say something enough times, then actually it may well become true for you as well. And so that, that's, that's one, one element that, sorry, those are the key elements of the curriculum that we're expecting from early years, you know, 
right the way through to those that are going to be doing key stage five work next year you know and then it's the combination then of that blended approach i think that blended approach which means some face-to-face -face learning online learning and project work i think is going to be even more important um you know from september through until christmas and onwards so you know we're, we're, we're almost going to have to deliver in the university type style to even younger children so when children do come in we'll have to you know deliver content you know have to deliver content then we'll have to back that up with remote learning we'll have to back that up with 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 project work and that's one of the key challenges i think especially for children who are really complex and children under the age of seven you know but uh, some of our recovery uh, curriculum work at the moment you know there's a lot of emotional intelligence work that's that's going on alongside that and it comes back to one of my previous um, comments the co-construction of that curriculum will hopefully mean that when colleagues do go away and have some kind of sun and break, they'll feel a sense of self-worth that they've created something that really hasn't existed in the education system before. You know, that it is about values, it is about developing a culture of care and empathy. And then we'll implement that in um, in September, you know, and instead of looking at the end of the journey, which is in December as part of that recovery phase, we're not looking at grades, we're looking at have children been to school, do children feel happier in themselves, have they made more connections with staff members, you know, you know, than before, have we supported our staff members and as human beings in the organisation, do we feel better about ourselves and have we overcome some of those anxieties and those questions that we had in June? How do we now feel in December? What have we achieved as, as human beings? And I think to have those kinds of questions asked when we're going into, into that kind of Christmas break, it'll be interesting to, to see where we're at, you know. So, um, yeah, in, in, in some ways I'm looking forward to it, but clearly because there's so many questions there that can't be answered until you will need to overcome that hurdle, do you know what I mean? So but we can pre you know, we can prepare. And that, you know, if we stick to those core values as human beings, then even if we don't quite succeed in some of those areas, we've done it with empathy and we've done it with yeah. compassion. And even if I can turn back and say that I've stuck to those core values, then I'll feel a sense of achievement. I so agree. And you know what? I think I feel that's like the perfect way to end our conversation on this on the on the notion that it's the intention it's your why what is your why and what drives you, yeah. what you're doing and you know certainly sounds that your why is is all about compassion and empathy so yeah. amazing yeah yeah um so when i at the end of the podcast, I always ask my my guests to uh, give me one or two things that they they feel is like their takeaway for the conversation, or they would want like people to start thinking about, or you know. So for you, what would that be, Tristan? We is really really important, and that concept that you mentioned about the um, you know that 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 story from Africa. And to take that, the, the we and the co-construction of anything you do in the future is, is really, really um, important. And then by involving people in that we process, wherever you get to journey, it'll be so much better. It'll be so much more fulfilling on a spiritual level as well as, you know, a human level that you've co-constructed something. You know, if, if, if we can focus on the we moving forward i think this world will be a much better place rather than the i competing with the i but together we come together and we 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 interlock you know and by interlocking you develop a big heart and i think if we could just just focus on that into the future and you know keep that you know flame burning as we say goodbye to 2020 and we start our journey into 2021 you know i think 2020 will probably be one of the most challenging years that most human beings have ever had on on, on planet earth and 2021 i'm looking forward to it because it's going to be better than better than this year definitely yeah. 
it's and you know it's a little bit like right from the ashes of the phoenix yeah, isn't yes, it it's like is that beautiful sort of you know we can we can build something so much yeah nicer stronger yes through all of those that yeah. adversity well, you know, Nelson Mandela said it, didn't he? Don't judge me by my successes. Judge me how many times I fall down and I get back up again. And, and I just think that is absolutely, um, you know, uh, you know, the right thing to say during these days. And it's okay to fall down and graze your knee, but do get up again. And there'll always be an empathetic hand there willing to help you up and to show you the way and, and, and to show you the way forward. You know, there's a lot of good in this world. And I think, you know, if you make a little bit more of an effort to find that good, I think it'll it'll help all of us. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much, Tristan. Well, thank Amazing you for your time today, Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, uh, and have a lovely evening. Yeah, thank you. And, and good luck to everybody that's going to be listening to this. Humanity, empathy and compassion is the way. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Great, great. flourishing.